listening to the Sermons Podcast for Ottawa Baptist Church. We pray that you will be blessed and encouraged by this week's message. Let's pray. God, we thank you that we can come and bow in your presence and hear a story of redemption and restoration that we will each wrestle with in some form. Lord, tonight as we humbly ask you into this house, as we come together to worship and to partake of communion, we commit this whole service to you. We commit this word to you. May it be of you. May it be you that wrestles with each of us tonight as individuals and as a community of believers. May your still spirit continue to work in us as we worship, as we come before you, broken and weary. May you do your will. May you have your way. In your awesome name. Amen. Kia church. Um, really wrestled with this week's, this month's passage. And uh, thank you for coming. It's so cool to, um, to continue this evening journey as we as a church uh, progress and look into what does small groups and community look like for us. And, and through that we get this no frills service. Um, but tonight as we journey through John 4, probably one of the most famous passages out there, my favorite uh, passage has been, I don't know how many times I have spoken on this passage and how many times it still speaks to me and then I still see something new every time I read into it. And tonight... Um, as we dive in, I hope that you see something of the enormity of Christ in there. That you see something of the enormity of what he has done, where this passage shows the, the enormity of the incarnation of the creator God, who created the world and the waters, and then became human and had to walk who was now forced to walk over it, who grew tired and thirsty, who stops for a drink. There is an enormity to this scripture, uh, but this enormity brings with it uh, a release, a restoration. And this restoration isn't just for us as individuals, but this is a restoration that we are to journey with as a community of believers. This is my prayer for you. This is my prayer for me, that, uh, that, that there is restoration in this evening, that there is a journey that we are all on, and at the end of this well, there is restoration for us. And, and tonight has been a little bit last minute. Um, I've been working on this message for a month, um, but then today God's just done something and uh, my notes are just covered in scribbles and some of the pages have been thrown out altogether and some more uh, brought in with more scribbles on it, which is just classic me. Um, ask any of the youth. 
But as we jump in to the story that Margaret just read out for us, the first part I want to bring us to is he had to. Jesus, he was on the journey from Judea to Galilee. He had just been in Jerusalem for the Passover, and he's on this journey back to Galilee. And Scripture says he had to, but he had to go through Samaria. I don't know if you know anything about ancient Israel or ancient Palestine, where, um, where uh, Judea is in the southernmost part, and Galilee is at the north, and in the middle is Samaria, sandwiched in there. And then on the, uh, I'm going to get this wrong, on the west, uh, bordering them all is the Mediterranean Sea, and on the east is the Jordan River, and, and we know he was at the Jordan River. And back then, Jews and Samaritans, they were at each other's throats. Some things haven't really changed that much. <clears throat> and they were at each other's throats because the Samaritans, they'd become this, they were a half-breed. 700 years earlier in the, in the uh, Assyrian um, exile, the Assyrians took them and then started to... Um, mold them and shape them and in the space of one or two generations. Uh, they were Assyrian enough that they put them back in there. And you get these Samaritans, these kind of half-breeds. They had some Judaism stuff and they had some other stuff and they were mixed in there with all sorts. And they only used the first five books of the, uh, of the Old Testament of the, uh, of the Torah. And they were this sort of half-breed and they sort of despised one another. And so any self-respecting Jew wouldn't go through Samaria. They would just jump over onto the other side of the Jordan River and avoid it altogether. And Jesus was there. That's normally where he'd go. So when it says here that he had to, it's not really true. He, he could have just jumped over the Jordan River. It's, and it, it's just a creek in most, most parts. It's, it's not this gigantic thing that looks like the Waikato. It's it's just a little creek most of the time. And they could. They could just jump over. And this is what they did. But he said he had to. But, every time there's a but in Scripture, you stop and you take note. But he had to. Why did he ha have to? Why did he have to? He's on a mission. Have you noticed that this is sort of when Jesus' ministry begins? And the first person, the first thing he does is cross a boundary. He crosses an area that tradition and the, the Jude, Jude mentality at the time, just don't go there, don't go through there. This was their thinking for a lot of things. If you go into a, a Jewish home, uh, kosher is so uh, important to them that they will have two sets of cutlery so that they don't mix their meat and their dairy. So a lot of this, the reasons they wouldn't go and, and eat with Gentiles is just because they couldn't be sure the utensils they were using were kosher. And so they would avoid Samaria. And instead of that, Jesus goes, no, I'm going through it. I have to. I'm on a mission. The next thing we see is, is he comes to the well. And whenever there's a well in Scripture, there's two things that pop to mind. Well, water, living water. Redemption, restoration. And the other thing, we see this in the Old Testament a lot, whenever there's water, whenever there's a well, there is marriage. And so when we see the scripture, immediately our minds should be going, restoration, marriage. Restoration, kingdom, 
the body of Christ. God is on a mission. Something is happening here. A Samaritan woman came to drink water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink of me, a woman of Samaria? This is totally out there. Jesus' response is almost, Jesus' question is almost inappropriate. In the Talmud, a commentary that the, the Jews use, a commentary that says, he who, he who speaks to the woman, speaks to a woman, uh, an unmarried woman, brings upon death to himself. There is this boundary, there is this inappropriateness to his question that he would go and ask of her a favor, a woman and a Samaritan woman of that. This is not the done thing. And then her response it is expected. This is exactly what she would be doing. Why, why are you speaking to me? Why are you talking to me? You who are a Jew, already she's putting up a boundary. You're a Jew. You're not meant to talk to me. She's walling up. She's putting something in the way. Why are you talking to me? Jesus answered, if you knew the gift of God, if only you knew. Here the word knew in the Greek is idu. It means uh, to be removed, to be far from. If only you weren't so far from me. If only you weren't so far from the gift that God has for you. Then you would give me a drink, and I would give you living water. Sir, you have no bucket, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our ancestor Jacob, who gave us this well, with his sons and his flocks who drank from it? Her question here is fascinating. We might not realize this, but he, she, is asking, who are you? Who are you that brings this kind of thinking? Who are you that brings this kind of enlightenment? Who are you that brings this, this living water that is spoken about in Leviticus? Who are you? And for all of us, struggling with who we are, this passage is her struggling with who she is. But rather than try and ask the question, who am I? She asks, who are you? Matthew 10, 13 says, those who find their life will lose it. And those who lose their life for my sake will find it. Jesus is speaking. And here she is responding exactly that way. Who are you? Sometimes people think that she's sort of deflecting. She's not deflecting. She's probing. She is seeking what he is offering. She is finding out. She is finally prepared to go over that boundary that Jesus is meeting her at. She is finally asking, who are you? There's a desperacy in her voice as she hears about 
this living water and what it could do for her. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but those who drink of the water that I give them will never be thirsty. The water I will give them will become in them a spring of water gushing up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I may never be thirsty or have to keep coming here to draw water. She's desperate. Sir, give me this water. And then Jesus touches on something here. Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come back. And the woman answered, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. Jesus puts his finger right on her shame, right on her brokenness. Remember, this is the middle of the day. You ever been to a well in the middle of the day in the desert? People don't go to the well in the middle of the desert in the middle of the day. They go at the beginning and the end. You ever go to a well in the morning and it's just thriving with people? You go at the end of the day, there's people. She's there alone in the middle of the day. And our assumptions here is that she is, is a loose lady, a bit of a pariah. But so desperate is she for this water that she cries out. And sadly, it's in our assumptions that we think that it's her fault. Do you know, in, in uh, old times, in the Jewish times, the only one could ask for divorce. And in the Hebrew, to divorce doesn't mean like what we think of it. It means to put out. So here's this woman who's been through five husbands, now onto a man who hasn't even done the dignity of marrying her. And instead he says that these men have said, I am to put you out. At some point when someone says, I don't want you anymore, surely we start to believe that. Surely that shame becomes true for ourselves. And no matter who we are, we will each have something of this kind of shame. There will be some sort of label put on each of us. And here she is crying out for this living water. Why? Because then she could go back to the well in the morning and the evening. Because what happens with our shame is it gets, it gets definitive in community gets defined in our community. If we believe in something and if someone says something enough about someone, if she is a pariah and everyone believes it, then we are ashamed and we cannot live in such a community. But actually, the community Christ is bringing, this living water, this restoration that he is speaking of, is also offered for her in the community. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me. Get back. The woman said to her, sir, I see that you are a prophet. Her eyes are opening up. She's forgetting who am I and she's asking, who are you? 
I see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you say that the place where people must worship is in Jerusalem. Some people think that she's deflecting here. Some people think that Jesus has put his finger on her shame and therefore she's trying to move on, change the subject. She's not. She's asking. She's seeking. What is the real truth? Tell me I need to know. I so desperately need what you're asking. I need this restoration. Is it this way that we've done in Samaria? Is it the way that you speak of and uh, the Jews speak of? Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father seeks such as these to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. There's these falsehoods that these Samaritans had that was holding them back from this truth, from this restoration. There is, this, there is these falsehoods that they had been fed and lied through the Assyrian Empire, that they had somehow come to believe, and she was here with more on her shoulders, seen as a pariah, as an outcast, not welcome in that community. And yet here comes a Jew. He crosses the boundaries. He starts speaking to her, as he should not do, and offers something to her that no one else could possibly offer but full and utter restoration. How many of us here believe in falsehoods? Things that we've learned through Christendom, through tradition, through things that others have put on us. We come to believe in these things and the words around us. Anyone, who's, anyone who has said sticks and stones will break my bones but words will never hurt me is a filthy liar. <laughs> because they stick and they hurt and then we need this restoration. Who we are is found in him. I am he the one who is speaking to you. This is this magnificent story of Christ overcoming boundaries put in place by ourselves and by others. That we come to believe and that take us into this place of despair and desperacy that she finds herself. And all of us come seeking this restoration. And one of the beautiful things I know about the community of believers, this community of Christ set up by him, is that we each in this room fall into one or two categories tonight. You might even fall into both. That each of us here are either seeking a story of restoration or we have a story that may encourage others. That we have a story of restoration that could be shared that may help and grow others. She went back to her village and shared the story of restoration.
come and see the man who told, it, told me everything about me. It is for this reason tonight that we come to the table. It is for this reason that we come as a community and we seek restoration. A restoration that can only be offered through him, living water, that we may never thirst again. I think that's in the wrong key, Andy. It is for this reason that we as a community feast at the table because he offers us restoration. And then in that restoration, we have a story for others to be encouraged by. We journey together in this feast. And we journey together as believers. We all have struggles, sins and shames that Christ alone can come and restore us from. If only we would call his name. If only we would ask, who are you, Lord? And seek first him and not ourselves. And so tonight there's, uh, there's three places so we don't have a backlog. And the band is going to lead us again in a time of worship, an extended time of worship. And we want to encourage you as a community of believers to gather around one another in prayer, to gather around each other in restoration. There's going to be coffee and hot chocolate at the end to gather around and share stories of restoration. Not because of anything you or I have done, but because what he has done. When he went to the cross, when his body was broken, and when his blood was spilled. And so we now come and remember. We remember this restoration offered us. Oh Lord, we thank you. That despite our brokenness, our sin and shame, your living water, your death and conquering of death, brings us new and eternal life. That may it be a bubbling brook, an eternal spring welling up inside of us. And beautifully, you bring us into this marriage, this body of Christ, where we don't just selfishly hold our restoration, but that we instead share in this restoration. Thank you, Jesus. You're awesome. Mighty name. checking out our sermons podcast today for more information on Ottawa Baptist Church please visit our website at www.
www.ottawabaptist.com. <laughs>